0: okay good morning when missy and i were pregnant because that's how you say it right we were pregnant okay i don't want to confuse anybody when we were pregnant the first time with aiden and we were trying to come up with a name that's sort of hard have you ever had to come up with a name that was going to stick with someone for their whole life yeah so it's it's a little bit daunting and um we thought about a few names and we ended up with Aiden. We ended up landing on Aiden as his name. Do you know why? Because it sounds good. Because it sounds good, right? It actually means little fire, but we did not name him Aiden because we expected him to be a little fire or to start little fires. We just liked the name, we just thought it's a good name. Same with Levi. We just thought. It's a good name. It's a good, strong name. It sounds good. Um, these days, if you've noticed, people name their kids all kinds of things. Have you noticed that? All kinds of things. Have you, heard of, um, have you heard of Ladasha? Has anyone heard of Ladasha? Okay, so there's this urban legend. It started off with a swim instructor who told this story that um, he was going through his roster and he was trying to read this little girl's name and he was saying he was saying okay laa cuz it was l a dash a and he was going laa laa uh, la, 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 la 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 and he was trying to come up and the mom was like it's ladasha okay ladasha because there's a dash and you pronounce the dash it's just a very odd thing to do right ladasha you would do that to your kid, right? So there's um there's another story, and it's actually a pastor friend of mine knows a student whose name is Orangelo. And he's named Orangelo because his mom wanted to name him after the first thing she saw in the hospital after after delivery. And she happened to look at a cup of orange jello. So the kid's name is orange jello, but they pronounce it orangolo. The first one's an urban legend. The second one, that's true. That's a true story. It's a little bit it's a little bit sad. It's a little bit horrifying. But I think I blame Google because everyone wants to be able to Google their kid's name and have their kid's name be the only one that that is like that. So we've all got all kinds of names. But um, I think the trend is toward the way that the name sounds, not necessarily to have a deeper meaning. In the Bible, however, you were wondering where I was going with this. In the Bible, however... Names carry a deeper meaning. So when we look in the Bible, we find that the names actually mean things. They mean things. They're descriptive. They're informative. Um, this is especially true when God names something. So I've got actually four, uh, just off the top of my head, names that I could think of that where God has named somebody. Adam, Adam, Adam means from the earth, from the dirt, from the ground. And so uh, Adam, the Bible says God made him, he formed him from the dirt of the ground, and so he named him from the dirt, right? So it's, it's a, there's a, a meaning, his nature is built into his name. God took Abram and renamed him after he made a covenant with him, and he said, I will bless the, you and I will bless the whole world through you. He renamed him Abraham, which means the father exalts. So his name has a deep meaning to it. God gave him that name. Jacob, which means um, deceiver or grabber, actually, it means something like grabber. Um, God changed his name to Israel, Israel, which means strives with or contends with God. And, so, and he was named that after he literally wrestled uh, an angel of God and uh, got his hip broke in the process. Don't wrestle. Don't wrestle. Maybe that's just the end of my sermon. Maybe I just stop right there. Don't wrestle with God. Cut it out. Um, but renamed him, strives or contends with, struggles with God because that's who he is. It, it describes his nature. And then, and then God, through an angel, told Mary to name her son Jesus because he would be the Savior. Jesus literally means Savior. And so we've got God naming people, and the names have really deep meaning. So when God gives himself a name for us to call him, he's also revealing something to us about himself. Because that's what he does. And over the last few weeks, I've been answering your questions. And this morning, uh, the question I'm going to answer is, why does God call himself I am? Why does God call himself I am? This question is uh, pointing to a moment in Exodus chapter 3. But we need to work our way up to it So uh, we'll we'll get there But let's start by talking about what we call God today And in your outline, I left you seven blanks And they don't have answers I have my own answers, but you've got seven blanks Take a minute and just think about the, the things that we call God What do we call Him when we are talking to Him Or when we're talking about Him What do we call God today? So in your life, what are things that you call God? Take a minute and write those down I know this is a very teacher move, not something a pastor would normally do, but just do it. Just write it down. You'll be okay. You'll make it. I see some rebellious people not writing anything down. Be that way. Be that way. What do you call God? Okay, ready for my list? All right, here's my list. Ready? Number one, God. Yes? How many of you wrote down God? Yeah, all right. So God's a good one. Okay, God's a good one. (laughs) Amen? You better amen God's a good one. Okay, um... But God is also a word, right? Those, those letters, right? God is also a word that other religions use to talk about their gods. Do you know what I'm talking about? So it, it is a word that we, that we use or that I use to talk about God, but it's not necessarily unique to my God, if that makes sense. So God, yes. And then because we're Christians and we, we recognize that God is one, but he's also more than one in a way, there are three normal things that we call God- To separate out that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that's how the Bible reveals God to us, is through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about God. Also, Jesus, Savior, right? I call him God. And Lord, Lord's a personal favorite of mine. Uh, It's more of a title, but that's okay. And then Christ. Now, each of those names brings out something different about God, doesn't it? When you think about God as Father, you think about something different than when you think about God as Jesus, or God as Christ, God as Messiah, the one who was anointed and sent to us for our salvation. When you think about God as the Holy Spirit, you think about something different than, than, than maybe as, as Lord. Maybe. So there's different aspects that are, that are brought out in it. I think for me, it's a little bit like if I, if I uh, had a cow, and I brought the cow up here, I would have to take the ramp bring the cow all the way up. And if I had a cow that was here, you could smell it, you could see it, I could spin it around, it would make sounds, right? And you would get to experience the cow. But if I was gonna send a picture of this cow to somebody and all they had was the picture, they would only see one side of the cow, right? They wouldn't see the other side, they wouldn't see the back, maybe you wouldn't want to. They wouldn't see the face, they wouldn't, they wouldn't get a sense of what the cow sounds like or really how big it is. There's a lot about the cow that you wouldn't see from just one thing. So we get lots of names of God because they're all drawing out different things for us to, uh, to understand him a little bit in whatever way that we can. And I think that's great. Um, each of the points, each of the names, we only have one God, but they all draw out a different aspect of who he is and what he's like. Now that you're warmed up to the idea, let's turn our attention to the Bible and the Old Testament in particular. And we're going to look at what names God has given himself. We're, again, working our way toward Exodus 3 to answer the question, but we're going to look at the Bible. When you read the Bible, the very earliest name given to God is Elohim. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But although it's the earliest name in the Bible, it comes up all over the creation account. It actually comes from another name So we're going to start there So the name that, it, that we start with is El El means God El means God And it, the way that you would actually probably pronounce it If you were trying to be really accurate is ail But everyone says El And so El means God It points to his preeminence His transcendence That he is first That he is highest But um, in Hebrew and for the the ancient Israelites, El was also a name that other religions used to talk about their gods too. So it's very much like our word, God. But it means God. So El means God. It's used in the Old Testament more than 200 times. We don't exactly know where it comes from, but we know it points to his authority, his authority. That he is he's not part of creation. He's above everything in creation. There are several other L names. I'm gonna give you a partial list. Elohim is the most popular. It means God. It gets translated as God, but it points to something different. It points to his presence, his intensity in the situation, in the moment. That he is intensely present in the moment, like in creation. He is he's not just there hanging out like a bump on a log right he's intensely there and present in the moment it's also a plural word which is super interesting because it will talk about god elohim which is a plural word but then it will use singular pronouns like you know he instead of they so elohim means god it is a it is a plural word it points to his presence and intensity in the moment El Elyon is another one. It means God most high. That's how it gets translated in most Bibles. And it points particularly to his authority. To his authority, El Elyon. There's an interesting story in Genesis 14 where Abram, before God's covenant with him, before the priesthood, before anything like that, uh, he, he runs into... A man who is a priest for El Elyon, God Most High, and um, Abram knows God as El Shaddai, which we'll get to in a second. So Abram is worshiping El Shaddai, and he meets a priest for El Elyon, and they re- they realize they're on the same team, so they bless each other. And it's it, it's interesting. If you're interested more in it, look it up Genesis 14. But it gets translated as God Most High. There's a couple other ones. Eloah means, uh, well, it gets translated as God, but it's particularly used in his worship. It means that he's holy and he's worthy of worship. It comes up a lot in the poetic writings. Ella is another one. It means God to be feared. And El Shaddai is another one. It means Almighty God. It will normally get translated in your Bible as Almighty God because you don't read Hebrew, right? So it's, all these things are getting translated into English, El Shaddai. is actually really interesting because it seems to be the oldest or one of the oldest names that God gave to his people. Um, I, 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 I mentioned it just a, a second ago, but um, in Exodus 6, when God's talking to Moses, he tells Moses that, that he's the God of his father's. But that he made himself known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his fathers. He made himself known as El Shaddai, as Almighty God. But he did not make himself known by his personal name. Which he does make himself known to Moses and to all of us with. So El Shaddai is a very old name, um, means Almighty God. It points to his might, his power. There are other um, El names, but those are some of the key ones. There's also Yahweh. And so Yahweh is the, the closest uh, sort of approximation we can get because it was not uh, really said. Um, but that's that's pretty much what we think how you would pronounce it. Yahweh is the distinctly personal name for God. While other cultures and religions used El and variations of El, God revealed himself as Yahweh, only to his chosen people, only to the Jews. As such, it is particularly precious to God. It's protected by him. God commanded his people to be very careful about how they use his name. Do not use it in vain. God has called Yahweh more than 6,800 times in the Old Testament, by far the most. It gets translated as the Lord with... Um, and it doesn't show up on here, but I think maybe in your outline, I don't know. You could write the, and it's capital L, like big, big L, and then capital but smaller, O-R-D. In your Bible, when you read the Lord like that, it means it's being, it's being translated from Yahweh, from the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh. Linguistically, it's linked to the verb to be. And I'm going to teach you some Hebrew, okay? Ready? Okay, in Hebrew, the way that you would say to be is Hayah. I kid you not, it's Hayah. Okay, so everyone say Hayah. Oh, you love it, don't you? Okay, so Hayah, and there's probably an ancient form of that, which was ha'wa, but that is, is the root is linked to Yahweh. It's got the same consonants, and so... Uh, it's, it's linked there, but we also know its meaning, not just because of the, the language behind it, but because of this scene in Exodus 3, which is our question for the morning. So let's turn our attention there. It's in your outline. Um, you want to look it up in your Bible. Um, it's Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 3. Let me give you some context, okay? So here's Moses. He's Hebrew, but he's raised in Egypt. He's raised by Egyptians. He's not very familiar with what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be Hebrew, because he was raised uh, Egyptian. When he was about 40 years old, he ran off. He fled Egypt. He, he took off to the hills, and he got married. Um, he sort of lived his life. And then one day, God reached out to him and lured him up a mountain. By this time, by the way, he's 80 so he's not Christian Bale, right, if you, if you saw that most recent Exodus movie. He's not Christian Bale. He's an 80-year-old. By the time he gets called up onto the mountain to meet God. So he gets up there. There's a bush, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. It's got Moses' attention, and we, we're going to start reading from there. This is Exodus three. 3. Exodus 3.3, three. and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned, right? There's a burning bush and it's not burning up. I'll, I'll, I'll turn aside to see it again. Why is it not burning? Then when, this is verse four, when Yahweh, okay, when the Lord, okay, this is Yahweh, when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to him, Elohim, that God is Elohim. I'm just going to read the Hebrew names for God, if you don't mind. When Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, Elohim called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Elohim of your father and the Elohim of Abraham and the Elohim of Isaac and the Elohim of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at Elohim. Verse 7. Then Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to Elohim, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I, this is God, said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve Elohim on this mountain. Then Moses said to Elohim, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Elohim said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac and the Elohim of Jacob, has sent me to you, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Super interesting, right? So, remember that Elohim points to God's presentness and activity, so you can imagine why God would call himself Elohim while while he's... You know, while Moses is on holy ground and he's present there, and there's the angel of the Lord, why is God Elohim? Because he's intensely present there in that moment. But Moses doesn't know who he's talking to. He doesn't know. He wasn't raised an observing Jew. He calls God Elohim because God called himself Elohim. I am the Elohim of your fathers. He goes, okay, well, you know. What is that? What does that mean? To be clear, the the narration calls God Yahweh, which you probably noticed, but it was written later. In the moment, Moses seems like he's stalling a little bit. God's asking him to do something crazy, amen? Not something that you would normally do. Hey, you're 80, go back to Egypt and go free my people. Yeah, so... Uh, his first question is, why me, right? Why me? And God says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And he goes, yeah, but if I go and they say, who sent me, what should I say? He wants a name, right? You would too, right? You A name drop is probably appropriate at this time. Because they're all wondering, well why would we go with you who who sent you to us so he wants a name and i just don't think anyone's asked god's name before you know what i'm talking about like when god's there and there's the angel of the lord and there's a bush that's on fire but it's not burning up and a voice from heaven comes and says take off your sandals you're on holy ground yeah but but what's your name like but give me your name. I just don't I don't think in the Bible I can't find I can't think of an example where that's happened already. Elohim said to Moses, I am who I am. So imagine you're at a um imagine you're at a Dallas Mavericks game. Maybe you're not a Dallas Mavericks fan, but who cares? Okay, imagine you're at a Dallas Mavericks game, you're at a basketball game. And you're there and you're in like the concourse or you're in the, the you know, where the, the food is and you're sitting down at a, at, a, at a table and someone comes walking by and there's like a, a mass of people and everyone's looking and there's bodyguards and someone and this person comes and sits down at the table next to you. And you don't know who it is. Right. But they're important in some way. And uh, they've, they're bodyguards And people are trying to take pictures And things like that And he seems pretty important And you say Hey, how's it going? Great, great you And you guys have a good conversation It's a nice little conversation And uh, he says You know what? I like you Great I don't know who you are But great Why don't you go sit in my box seats? You go No, no, I couldn't. He goes, yeah, yeah, go, go sit in my box seats. You'll be fine. Okay, but no, yeah, yeah, they're box 3C, box 3C, go, go. Okay, but when I get there, who should I say sent me? and you're talking to Mark Cuban. He owns the Dallas Mavericks, right? And he's fairly famous. So just imagine that Mark Cuban at this moment realizes you have no idea who he is. You've got no idea. He might say something like, well, go ahead and tell them that I sent you. Do right? you know what I'm talking about? So, he, so you say, well, who, who, who sent me? And Mark Cuban, who is very famous, would say, because he's now realizing, yeah, you don't know who I am. Just go tell them that I sent you go tell them that I sent you. And he's sort of messing with you a little bit. I get a very similar response from God in this moment because he's very present there in the moment with Moses. And Moses says, okay, but if I go back, who should I say sent me? And God says, go ahead and tell them I am has sent you. But it's deeper than that. So he's being a little bit coy, I think, but he's also revealing something very important. And it's because he says, He says, I am who I am. This is me. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And then in the very next moment, what does he say? In the very next moment, he immediately clarifies with something really beautiful. This is in verse 15. Elohim said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you, and this is my name forever. And all generations will know me by this name. This is the first time God revealed his name to his people, to Moses. We didn't know who he was. And asked, think of the beauty of this moment. To your fathers, to your ancestors, I was El Shaddai, I was Almighty God. But I'll tell you who I am. The name I want you to call me, and for all of the generations after you, what I want them to know about me, because when God names himself, he tells us something very, very deeply important about himself to us. What I want you to call me is, call me Yahweh. Call me Yahweh. Remember for a second that these names point us toward things that are true about God, but they're simplified. They're like this cow, and I just take one picture of one part of the cow, right? They're a simplified version of what's true about God. The way I put this in your outline is that God waters himself down so we can understand something about him. The way my theology professor would say it, is that God condescends himself to be known by us. He, has, he can't just reveal who he is. He has to give us glimpses and flashes and moments so that we can put them together to get a better idea. But we'll never understand God as he is. We only understand him as he reveals himself to us. So while these names tell us something, the reality is so much deeper than we can ever really understand. Like when God says, I am love. How do you understand that? How do you understand that God, the God of the universe, the creator of everything says, I am love? I process that through my own experience of love, right? I know what love is. And so I take my experience of love and sort of project that out to to tell me something about God but God is love in such a deeper way than I could ever understand love. When God says that he is, he is merciful, I understand mercy because of how I have received mercy, how I process mercy. But God is merciful on a whole nother level. A whole nother level. God is powerful. Well, I know what power is. I'm, you could, I'm pretty strong. I know what power is, right? I can move stuff. But God is powerful in a way that goes way farther than any, any kind of power I even understand. He's just giving us those ideas to point us towards something that's true about him so that we can know him in some way. That means Yahweh, which points directly to God existing, to him being real, right? God's personal name tells us that he is. But he is on such a deeper level than we will ever understand. Think about this. The Bible says that, that Jesus sustains all things, that in him we have life, and in him he sustains all of creation. So God is, not in a way that we are, because God could will us to not be in a moment. He is in such a deeper way than we are. God is. He's the most realest thing in your life. There are all kinds of things that you know are and exist and are real, but God, more than all of them, put together. And in such a deeper way than we will ever understand. To you, that might not sound personal. The fact that God is might be like, oh, well, great. You know, thanks for letting me know. I didn't, I didn't know that. I couldn't tell that from the angel and the burning bush. But for God, it's very personal. It is his personal name. Unlike the false gods, unlike the gods of Egypt, unlike all of these other things that might seem real in life, I am real. God is real. If the burning bush and the angel and the holy ground and the voice from heaven weren't enough, God says, hear me now. My personal name, who I am by my very nature, I am real. I am here. I am with you. Let me ask you this what else do you need? What else do you need from God? Except to know that He is. Except to know that He is. Is that not enough? Is that not enough? I am here. I am with you. I will be with you. Now go, right? Because that's what he's telling Moses. Is Moses is saying, why I, you know, I don't really know why you would send me. And God says, I'll be with you. Go ahead. Well, who should I say sent me? Well, tell them I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh, the God of their fathers, Tell them that's my name forever. And I will be with you, and I am real. I'm the most realest thing that you got. What more do you need? What more do you need than to know that I am here and I am for you and I am real? What more do you need? What more do I need? I'm waiting for a sign. Ultimately, God's point to Moses is it's time to go. And you can go if you realize that I'm here and that I'm real, that I am. Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we can say, if Yahweh, the great I am, the one who is, and He's, he is more than anything else is, he is in a deeper way than anything else is. You've got troubles in your life. You've got things that hurt you. You've got people who are troubling you. You've got financial problems. You've got health concerns. Those things are real in your life, amen? But God is the most realest thing you've got. He's more real than any of that stuff. That's why we pray. That's why we ask God, because we know he's got authority over everything else that's that's going on. He's got authority over everything. If God is, what does he want from you? If God is, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? Why aren't you sharing the gospel? Why don't you pray more regularly? Why don't you have the boldness to ask God for things that seem crazy? What's holding you back? Where are you not going? Why do you place things in front of God? Why do you complicate your relationship with him? I'll go a step further because when we talk about names in the Bible, it always comes back to Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Salvation comes in the name of Jesus Christ alone because 2000 years ago the God who is the great I am, the God who is more real and more present than anything else, he took on flesh and he lived like us and he suffered and he died for us so that we could be renewed and and reconciled in our relationship with Him. That's how much He loves you. Because when God says, I am love, when the Bible says God is love, I understand love, but in a very small way compared to God. And I see that because God, the great I am, became Jesus. He lived like us. He died for us. And I don't understand that love. I can see it because I see it in Jesus, but I don't understand it. And if I don't understand that, how much more is underneath it that I really don't understand? God is love and he loves you. God is merciful. He's merciful to you. He is gracious and he's gracious to you in ways we cannot understand. But the point from this passage is that he's here. He's real. He exists. He's for you. And he will be with you if you go where he's sent you. If God is for us, who could be against us? The answer is, who cares? Who cares who's against us? If I go with God, who cares what's against us? If God has put us here, and he's pushed us in this direction... Anywhere else is going to get you thrown in the belly of a whale. Go with God, wherever God calls you, because if he's for us, if he's here and he's real, who cares about anything else? He's the one we follow. We follow Jesus, the great I am who took on flesh and made himself known even more personally than his personal name to us. We understand Jesus. We understand God. We understand Yahweh in what we see in Jesus. And that's even more personal. That's even more personal. So are you following him? Do you follow Jesus? And I'll close with this. If he's real, you ought to. Otherwise, you really don't want to be like Moses. Seeing God all around you, seeing God move, watching God be conspicuous, and you stand there stalling. Trust God. Trust where he's pointing you. Go with him and go with him boldly. Amen? Part of this is just, it should it should produce a response in us that makes us want to go with God. Don't just go and be crazy, but go with God. Do something that you know He wants. Read your Bible. Open it up. Find something that God says that is good, that He wants us to do. Pray and ask God to reveal to you what it is that He wants you to do. And then go. Go and do that thing knowing that God says, I am. And I'm with you. And for us, more so because we actually have the Holy Spirit. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. Let that produce a boldness in your life and let it produce praise because as we think about God and what he's revealed about himself as the almighty as powerful as present and intense in our lives those are words the true meaning behind those words for God is so much deeper and more beautiful than we can understand and the real thing that all we really can do from that is praise him you know what I'm talking about because we can't understand it all we can do is praise him let's pray